Hello, this is Dr. Earl with Denali Medical. To get us started, I'd like to ask you a question. Are you ready? I mean, really ready. Are you ready to find solutions? Are you ready to find root source healing? If you are, well, let's go. So COVID has been very interesting. Um, the early projections were that there would be millions and millions of deaths, um, both in the United States and globally. Um, and I, I guess the puzzling part for me was um, where a lot of those projections came from because COVID-19 um, is a coronavirus and there are seven other coronaviruses that have um, infected us as men, as human beings, I'm sorry, um, as, um, as, as human beings. And, um, and, and then there's other viruses that affect, uh, coronaviruses that affect, obviously, they talked about bats and, and, and dogs and so forth. And these other coronaviruses infect other species. <clears throat> but given the fact that we have a track record of seven other, with this being the eighth, coronaviruses, you would think that since the other seven followed a very similar pattern, that we would expect something similar from this coronavirus. And so the projections when they first came out really um, didn't mimic what we saw from for projections and then reality for SARS and for, um, for MERS, two of the most recent coronaviruses that we have a lot of data on. So that was the first the first issue with with the the, the coronavirus was the fact that the projections were um, not based on our history with other coronaviruses didn't seem to be based on um, some of the things that we'd seen and we were very um, overreactive to some of the early data um, rather than and we know that early data is always bad data it always is. And that has also ferreted out to be the case here. Um, we made some very sweeping change, changes um, um, socially, economically, politically, all kinds of different changes that we put into based on these projections, um, which now, again, look, in retrospect, uh, it's following the very uh, a pattern similar to what we've seen out of SARS and MERS. So that initial response was was quite frustrating. The other thing is that we talked um, in a previous text back and forth, Nikki, about a um, something called herd immunity. Herd immunity is um, really what we hope for with any infection. Herd immunity is where at least 60% and hopefully 80% of the population is immune and resistant to a particular infection. What that means is they've either been exposed um, to the virus and fought it off, um, been vaccinated, um, or other, meaning that, and when I say other, if there are seven other coronaviruses out there, it, it makes um, logical sense that our bodies would have a good chance of recognizing similarities in coronavirus one, two, and six, and just throwing out numbers, but and then be able to help us fight off coronavirus 8. And they've actually shown that to be the case, um, especially when they, look at, um, when they look at some of these antibodies they're trying to test for. 
because they're finding that there are patients, and, and in particular some of the younger uh, patients, 30 and, and younger, that don't really have any show any particular antibodies specific for COVID-19, and yet they're immune, meaning they've seen it or they've been exposed to it and they fight it off because of their experience with other, their immune systems experience with other coronaviruses. So again, when we, when we start looking at testing and antibody testing and some of these other things, the reality is it's, it's very difficult to get accurate data because there are so many variables involved. And so, um, those are some of the big frustrations that, that they're looking at. So back to herd immunity, um, when, when we study epidemiology in medical school, one of the things that they talk about is trying to get the healthy population out, exposed, and immune, and, and therefore they overcome the virus so that, um, so that they then protect those patients that are less um, uh, are less ready or less um, uh, prepared to fight off the virus, those that are susceptible. Um, the way to think about herd, and, and then again, one of the other ways to get herd immunity we've talked about is vaccination. But for this conversation, I'll talk about um, mostly getting herd immunity through a natural exposure. The way to think about herd immunity is that um, it, it's, you know, it starts to rain, you get a little bit wet, and then you have an umbrella, so you put the umbrella up. Um, that umbrella protects you from getting more rain on you. Um, and, and this is, again, a very simple analogy, but I, I'm hoping it brings to that, to, you know, to bear the, the point that needs to be made. So what happens is now you have immunity, if you will, or you have protection from the rain because you felt it rain, you put your umbrella up, and, and now you're, you're protected. Well, we think of an umbrella really just being uh, a protection for one person, but the reality is umbrellas can protect others. And, how, and, and so pretty soon now you've got a group of 10 people, then 20, then hundreds, then thousands, then millions that have been exposed and have their umbrella up. And what this means is that people now who don't have an umbrella or those who are not necessarily uh, able to fight off the virus, they can actually walk very comfortably under everyone else's umbrella and not be exposed to the rain because they, the, the contagiousness is not um, prevalent. The, the virus is not prevalent in society because everyone has some level, I shouldn't say everyone, but a majority of people have some level of immunity, some level of protection. And so those people that are most mm -hmm. susceptible to it will still be able to walk through um, the rainstorm and not get wet. And every once in a while, yes, a drop of rain will get through to someone who's susceptible, but that's a reality, reality of life no matter what we do. Um, with influenza, with, with cancer, with everything, there are drops that get through. We have these protections in place but there are drops that get through, and then we become sick or susceptible to whatever disease hits us. So herd immunity is really what both sides are striving for, whether it's get us out and let us get exposed, and where you self-isolate those people that are most susceptible, those people go into a self-isolation, not a quarantine, 
quarantine is for those that are sick, but they self-isolate until a certain percentage of the population is um, has uh, immunity, and then they're able to um, then the susceptible people are able to walk under their umbrella of protection without having high exposure rates. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, that's what I always thought herd immunity was, and but I love your uh, explanation. Um, and, but we had someone that mentioned one time that if they if you get a vaccination, then that ends up being like a typhoid Mary situation where you're running around because you're developing immunity within your body and you're exposing people as you're developing your own immunity and I didn't understand that so that was confusing to me because I always thought herd immunity was as you just explained it so I know that I heard uh, 25 years go ahead no no I was just going to say typhoid Mary and 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 typhoid was a very um, particular type of of vaccination and so forth um, that wasn't the same vaccinations that we've got now. Um, but anyway, sorry. Yes, go, go ahead. Oh, no, that's what I was wondering, because I know 25 years ago or so, thereabouts, um, you would give a puppy a Parvo vaccine, and then you'd have to keep it away from any other puppies, because he could give the Parvo to the other puppies while he's during that initial uh, immunity develop, or, you know, antibody antigen production, whatever it was. Yeah, and, and that's if they're using live vaccines or some variation of that. Um, and and mm-hmm. But the other, the other reality, too, is that when someone's developing immunity to a certain disease, the reality is they can be more susceptible to the other disease. The other challenge that they're having with the, with the virus um, and a vaccination for it is the fact that it's already mutating meaning now it's getting exposed to other viruses and it's starting to swap DNA and pieces with the other viruses. And and so they may come up with a vaccination that works for the brand or version of COVID um, that is, you know, prevalent here in June. But by the time they come up with it in September, October, now a new version of the virus is, is prevalent and the vaccination will miss the mark. Um, that's the unfortunate reality of a lot of times what happens with influenza. Um, they go over to China, um, try to do some research and predict what is going to emerge from from the Asian um, Asian population into the into the globe. And, and sometimes they they get it, meaning they get about sixty percent of of protection, and a lot of times they miss it, which at low, it's only provided anywhere between five and eight percent protection. So, it's it's not a. I, I had a, I had an interesting conversation with one of my mathematician friends from high school, and he said, "Well, if we're waiting for herd immunity, herd immunity, you know," and he he put this very simple equation out that just said, "Okay, this many people exposed, this many people in a population, it's going to take this many years," and I said. Okay, you've got to understand the test is only 60% accurate. You've got to understand, and then just put all in all these variables. And, he, and I said, okay, now come up with an equation for me. And he said, yeah, right. Um, immunity and herd immunity is this really complex matter <clears throat> that if we let our bodies and, and, and life kind of sort it out, again, this is opinion of, of Dr. Earl and also 
you know, looking at what I understand of epidemiology, if we let the amazing human body and life figure it out, it does a much better job than the the um, the science level that we understand right now. We just don't get it to the level that we need to in order to really provide protection. Wow. Well, thank you. Yeah, that really cleared that up. We just uh, uh, um, we really uh, really do miss having you on the show because your ideas or your research is so great. Um, so Wendy uh, just joined us again because we had lost her, and I know she wanted to ask you what about the mask wearing. Isn't that right, Wendy? Yeah, um, Dr. Earl, um, I noticed, and a lot, they don't they don't like to talk about it, but uh, some doctors are now, and uh, the paramedics are talking about it. You know, they, um, they've had all these people wearing masks, and not all of them have what the, like, my mask has that little ventilator out in front, so it, it breathes, and so a lot of these people just have their, the regular mask, and they're, uh, they don't have, like, a little, what they call, ventilator, and they said people have been passing out in their cars because they've been driving with their cars. They've been working out with them. And they said this is causing a lack of oxygen to the brain. It's causing problems because people are passing out and they're going to have brain damage because they've been wearing this mask morning, noon, and night. And it's, it's you know, like, like I wear one when I went into, I had to go into Home Depot yesterday. Yeah, I wore one. On, I, and, and then I, it kind of fell off me and then I had it partially on and, I picked up the product I needed to walk out of the store, no problem. But and and I took off the whole thing. But these people have been wearing masks morning, noon, and night, and they haven't got the proper oxygen because they don't have the proper ventilator one. But they said they're starting to have problems with people who didn't get enough oxygen to the brain, and they're starting to have people come into the doctor's office, and they're just all lightheaded. They, they, it's because they they've been wearing this mask, and they said that there's no reason to wear this mask. So mask science is is interesting because um, I I, huh. I find it fascinating um, again the different dialogues and and it depends upon the day I mean for a while the World Health Organization was saying everybody wear masks and now they're saying masks don't help prevent and then Doctor um, um, uh, oh I'm going to draw a blank uh, I want to say Fiocchi but uh, um, from the from the um, United States government. Anyway, he's saying masks, then he says not. I mean, it's just, and you've got all kinds of information out there as far as masks. So right. um, the, 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 the fascinating part is all of this science was done years ago based on um, particle size and so forth for emergency medicine physicians. The reason is not that to protect us against viruses, but protect us against chemicals that came in. So you'll have farmers that get doused in certain chemicals that are that are harmful. And we need to be right. able to go in and assess what's going on. And so all this data has been compiled for masks. It's out there. We know what masks do and what they don't do. And so when they start talking about a new research and new this, and this data is just out in regards to masks, and masks prevent this and prevent that, it's unfortunate because a lot of it is, um, again, early data and poor data, and it's not based on a lot of scientific facts. So let's first talk about you wearing a mask, um, and then we'll talk about someone else wearing a mask and what protection that provides you. Um, first, they've made a big deal about something called uh, an N95 mask. What that means is down to 95 nanoparticles, 
<clears throat> that mask, or um, um, I'm sorry, 95 nanometers, that mask will protect you against something that is that small. Well, the virus is actually much smaller than that. And so there's still... <laughs> sorry about there's, that, Yeah, there's still a risk for that virus to be able to get in beyond that mask. Now, will it provide some protection? Yes. Will it provide better protection than just a surgical mask? Yes. Um, But if you're looking to really prevent yourself from getting the virus, um, I mean, I've seen patients in, or not patients, but people in full gas masks. And and so the, the masks, still allow things to get through. There was one doctor who went on a, um, a tirade about the fact that um, we know that moist, warm environments make it so that the virus lives longer. Well, after you breathe your humidified air through a mask for a period of time, what have you created? A moist, warm environment. Um, and he said it's working just like a net to capture the virus that then later get into uh, I think that's a little extreme, and again, that's that's making science a little too simplistic. Um, but the reality is, masks don't um, don't necessarily protect you, except for one thing. And this is hilarious because, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll see patients that um, touch all this stuff that's contaminated with everyone else. They'll lift up their mask, they'll scratch their nose or their face, put their mask back down. And and that's the wrong thing to do. The one thing masks genuinely and absolutely do is if you touch something or someone who is infected and now you have viruses on your fingers, it prevents you from transporting that virus to your nose, mouth, or eyes. Well, eyes, no, but your nose or mouth on, a, uh, on an immediate basis. And at least until you can get your hands washed again, you should be, if you're going to scratch your face or so forth and itch, you should be doing that through the mask because then the virus doesn't come in direct contact with you. That is the, the one proven way that these masks, simple masks, can actually protect you. If you are sick and you don't have a, um, a really tight-fitting mask, the, the interesting thing is you look at a lot of people when they breathe in and breathe out and the mask goes in and out, um, what ends up happening is and people will complain of dry eyes. And that's because the, 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 uh, a lot of the volume of air works its way around the cracks of the mask at an accelerated um, um, velocity, meaning if you're sick, you're actually distributing virus at an accelerated velocity. So um, <clears throat> it's, it's kind of a, a put together, not quite sorted out all the way science, and you'll have one person that holds on to this bit of data, everybody wears masks, and another person that says this bit of data, nobody wears masks, and you really have nowhere to go. Um, masks, um, it, again, if you're going to be around a lot of people that are sick, and you want to protect yourself, a mask will keep you from touching them and touching your face as long as you don't remove it just to scratch around your nose or mouth. Um, and that's its biggest advantage. As far as then someone else wearing the mask and protecting you, 
that data is really quite suspect because of the things we've talked about. Because when they breathe in or cough or so forth, the reality is the, the air works its way around the mask and, um, and is, in a, is um, leaving at a much higher velocity, and so it can spread much further. And so, and the other thing that they've shown with masks is people who are sick um, will put on a mask thinking they're providing protection to everything, everyone and do things they should not do, um, like go out into public and spread the disease even more. So masks are kind of one of those things that's very interesting. If, you know, if masks works, masks work, why are we still social distancing? And if the social distancing works, then why aren't we going back to work? Right. Hold on, guys. We're going to take a break real quick. We'll give Dr. O right back just to give out some information. Hold on. We'll just take a four or five minute break or a station break. We'll be right back. This is going to form Natural Health Connections with Nikki and Wendy. Hold on, guys. Dr. O. Hey, listen to Revolution Radio at freedomsource.com. We'll be right back. Revolution, Revolution Radio. You don't see it, do you? How close we are to absolute chaos. The sick ones are sitting on their fat masses, eating and drinking themselves into a stupor, polluting the world without a second thought while it goes down the toilet. Nobody wants to do the nasty work. You know, the shit that we all just think about, most good citizens are just along for the ride and they bitch and moan and complain about everything when it doesn't work out. Not me. Get it? Revolution Radio, where we do the nasty work. so-called mainstream media is best described as controlled propaganda. Countless news stories are either totally ignored or spun with half-truths, and because of this, essential facts and vital information are often compromised. Join Dr. Ott every Friday night on Studio B at 10 p.m. Eastern and learn why the story behind the story was nominated for a Peabody Award in its second year of producing unparalleled broadcasting excellence in 1997. That is, if you really care about learning the truth. Hey, folks. Karl Marx here. You know from my smash hit, The Communist Manifesto, the little bitty that changed the world. <laughs> I crack myself up. But really, you know what else? The joke is on you, because this little manifesto has been used on you. Yeah, the United States of America. <clears throat> and then there was my epic, Das Capital, a sleeping work of intrigue and... Want to learn more about the Marxist agenda and other important stuff? Listen to The Ultimate Remedy with L.B. Bork, Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, right here on Revolution Radio. 
Listen, while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. Okay, we're, we're back. Um, <clears throat> we're talking with Dr. Earl. And um, of course, you get his um, bioenergy vitamin C at 1 800 674 3250 at 1 800 674-3250 at worldsgreatestvitaminc.com worldsgreatestvitaminc.com uh, Doctor, are you still with us? Yep. Um, can you also give out um, your um, inform- uh, your website so how people get a hold of you? Um, so the clinic website is denalimed.com D-E-N-A-L-I-M-E-D dot com Um. Let me just kind of just though reiterate, talk about one of the things to do with masks, and sure. the the and and so I'm not saying don't wear masks, and I'm not saying do wear masks. What I'm saying is, come to you know, do some some thinking, do some research, come to your own conclusion. But the reality is, right now there are people out there that their lives are driven by whether someone's wearing a mask or not. I mean we see or hear on social media all of these people that just freak out. You know, I thought this was a mask needed to be worn. I thought this, I thought that, and 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 so forth. And and so my stance has been, you know, I have a mask in my truck, and if I go into a place and it says masks are required, I put my mask on. If it says masks, you know, masks are optional, then I look around and I say, okay, are a majority of people in here wearing masks? And it's not that I'm trying to be a conformist. Um, because that's not necessarily the case. But I also don't necessarily want to fuel someone's fear, anxiety, and, 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 and so forth, just based on something that's very simple for me to do. Um, and so, again, that's, that's, that's my stance is that, you know, and I have patients that come in and they're like, hey, I don't care. And then I have other patients that come in and they say, Would, you know, can everyone wear a mask? And we absolutely accommodate whatever their their level of, of comfort is and we're you know taking extra precautions to decontaminate rooms and doing those type of things which you know dealing with all of the chemicals now that we're exposed to is another story for another day but um and, and may actually end up causing more harm than the virus ever could um but again right. that that data is is still formulating we first have to collect data on how serious the virus was Based on some some of the data that they're talking about, you know, exposure to antibiotic this and protective that and and so forth. I mean, in in medicine, they've actually gone back to saying, you know, what good old soap and water is just about as good as anything, because if you sterilize <laughs> and protect everything, your immune system needs opposition. It needs something to go against, or otherwise it starts fighting against yourself, and autoimmune disease right. is going through the roof. So. 
I did want to address one other thing in regards to the mask, and that's the low oxygen levels. Um, yeah. The low oxygen levels, um, unless someone is already borderline hypoxic, meaning their lungs aren't exchanging oxygen on a on a um, an appropriate level, um, then the mask can sometimes, or if they've got a really tight-fitting mask and so forth, um, then the mask can produce low oxygen levels. But i got to tell you, that's really rare. What, um, what most patients end up having is they feel like they can't breathe, light, breathe well in the mask, and so they end up hyperventilating, which hyperventilation, um, is, and it's interesting, we did. We looked at some research in emergency medicine at um, if a patient will um, breathe one extra time a minute over 30 minutes, um, they will they will drop their CO2 level and and raise um, the um, the uh, the acid bicarbonate level within their bodies will shift enough to make them show signs of significant hyperventilation. And so if you're wearing these masks 24-7 and you feel like you have to take bigger, bigger breath and push things out and, and you're constantly worried about, am I getting enough air, am I getting enough air, um, your, your risk of hyperventilation, which then makes you pass out, which then makes you lightheaded, which makes you dizzy, all of the symptoms that they're talking about is much more common and much more prominent than, say, low oxygen levels. Um, the good news is, it, uh, I think the brain damage concept is is a little fear based, and so I would use caution when you hear that. But the okay. but the the hyperventilation and blowing off too much by, um, CO2 uh, is 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 very real, and we see that on a, on a frequent frequent basis. Cool. Thank you so much for that. Uh, really great. That's um, because um, uh, I do know that. Um, Especially to people work out with, and this is another thing too, Doc. You know, when you're walking and when you're, you know, lifting weights or you're in your, you know, your toil gyms or you know, you're you're doing your treadmills. People are wearing their mask and they're like, dude, you have to breathe a little bit more. Um, you, you know, and this is why they're having some problems. Like they feel lightheadedness, and it's because they said, you know, they said, you know, don't wear a mask during when you're working out because you do need to breathe a little bit more. And so I think they forgot about that, and then they put masks on, and they weren't you know, their oxygen level wasn't as normal as it, it normally should be when they're working out because they weren't used to, you know, and um, they did feel lightheadedness, and some people did pass out. So um, yeah, and that's, yeah, but that's the, definitely a valid point. Absolutely. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a. Uh, I think it's about uh, 80 degrees, 79 degrees outside right now where I am. So uh, um, uh, I'm in my house right now, actually. Um, but uh, you know, that uh, we're, you know, we're I'm okay. You know, we've had some winds, uh, but uh, um, but I, I I don't wear my mask when I'm in my house, and I walk around the block. I, I'm I'm out. I'm not wearing it, and I've I've been like that since the day one, since this whole thing started, Doc, and. I've been fine, um, but I have to go into a store. Then I, you know, like I had to go into Hope Depot yesterday, and I, I put it on. You know, though my, my kind of flipped down my mouth, <laughs> on my face, so um, wasn't quite all the way on. But they didn't even say anything to me, and I think people have really, hopefully, just trying to move on with their lives. And uh, uh, 
you know, and, and get back to some normalcy. I hate to say that, but it's really important that people get back to some normalcy physically, mentally, and spiritually because this has been just such a kind of, you know, an uprooted uh, craziness. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And and that brings up a couple of, of really good points. Um, and this is data from um, – Oh, this isn't from the World Health Organization. It was from another global um, infectious disease. Um, but they compiled the, the data that we have now. Um, and early data, again, is always data, which means actually the survivability rate is going up as we get more people tested and we find, you know, and get better testing. Um, right now, based on the data that they have, if you, as an individual, get exposed to COVID and actually contract the virus, the disease, your survivability rate is 98.6%. And that's only going wow. to go up. So that's cool. if you get exposed to the disease. Um, and and um, research from the American Medical Association they looked at 5,700, so 5,700 hospitalized patients in New York City, and 97% of the patients that were hospitalized had out-of-control hypertension, diabetes, and or, and now I say and or, meaning many of them had all three, morbid obesity. Um, so those are, and, and again, out-of-control, those are your, your primary risk factors for this. Um, and that doesn't mean all diabetics have issues or all hypertensive patients have issues. These are patients that they were the sick of the sick. <clears throat> and um, and if you look at New York's medical system, the unfortunate reality is they run pretty close to capacity as it is just on a, a normal day-to-day -day basis. So something comes through and, and really pushes their, their limits a little bit such as this. And and they're 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 in panic mode. And then um, the other data that was interesting. This is out of uh, BBC, so um, yeah, from Britain, and they actually produced an article that said, "How worried should you be?" And they looked at all of the data and they pr pr um, uh, projected a um, um, you know, is, is your because one of the other things that they projected is life is shortened by 10 years by getting sick with COVID. And um, anyway, they they did you know plot lines and all of these other things and and looked at a lot of data and actually showed that that was not the case. They said that if you know if if your body's healthy, strong, and otherwise you know viable, then um, the reality is uh, your body will do amazing and your life expectancy has not changed. So, and I'm not trying to be a naysayer. Don't get me wrong. Um, the virus is real. Sure. And if someone has a lot of concerns or if they're in the risk factor portion, they need to be careful. And, and the rest of us need to be um, sensitive to them being careful um, and, and, and you know, whatever we need to do to help with that, great. But the reality is if we're going to get to herd immunity and do it with any kind of, of rapidity, meaning, you know, before 25 years, like my mathematician friends sorted out, um, then we're going to have to be wise about getting people exposed. The vaccine, it may miss and it may be a year and a half out. And by then we're already through phase two 
and phase three of the virus. So um, I just I just think we need to follow the same pattern we've done with other um, other infections. Absolutely, I agree. This is uh, great. Oh my God, it's so much. It's so cool to have you on, man. Because uh, we just sit there and listen as you talk. But it's also the information that you're giving out that you know it's very calming and smoothing, and so the people, our listening audience, uh, can take this information and, and and put it to good good common sense and and into their daily lives and make a big difference and move on. You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah, and thank you. No, thank you. That's that's kind yeah. to say. I I, I think. I think the other point to to point out, I mean, even if you're in the vaccine camp, which, you know, I, uh, anyway, regardless, that's another conversation also for another day. They're still relying upon your immune system to form antibodies to this. So the greatest thing that you can do is uh, protect and prepare your immune system. So when it comes in contact with the virus proteins, whether you get that from exposure, which, you know, who knows when that'll happen. Or, um, or I'm sorry, from exposure, meaning from other people, or the vaccine. Who knows when that will happen? Um, that your immune system is prepared. Best thing you can do. Really, the only thing you can do. Wow! No, we do. We really appreciate that. You know, Nick Pearson was going to come on. He may have a question for you or not, but I think he just wants to come on. And so I'm calling him up. But. Um, and, and also cousin Bob, but um, you know, this is this is so comforting because a lot of people, you know, mask, no mask, uh, uh, you know, social distancing, whatever. But you know, they're so worried, and um, you know, this is like common sense. Um, but uh, you know, we're we're still taking precautions, but it's common sense. But you know, we can't be living in fear when. Um, the elements are such as you have presented them. So that's terrific. Yeah, Let's see if I got, and, see if I got yeah, the, the fear is going to be a bigger issue. Um, the site, I mean, some of my counselor friends are just screaming with how busy they are, and and we we're not going to see the full effects of that until really six months after. Um, that's when it really hits full force. Now, why do you say that it's going to hit full force in six months? So one of the one of the um, psychologists hey. that I really hello one of the psychologists that I really like to follow is he he says what he does is he listens to songs and watches the news not so he can listen to the songs per se he listens to the message um, either from the news or otherwise because he knows in anywhere from um, four to eight months depending upon the person. Um, they're going to have a if, – if they're not really grounded, they're going to have some type of emotional, spiritual, psychological crisis centered on um, those things. He said that's how he prepares his staff, office, and therapies um, months in advance. So when it shows up six months later, he's ready to go. So you're talking about an event? Or an event, or a song, or an event. He's 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 using songs and news, and that's what he does. He says he watches the news, and listens to the songs. And he said most people have good coping mechanisms that they can get by for about um, four to six months, but then uh, four to eight months, and so around six is the average. 
Um, he said they, they'll cope with things the best they can. But then at that between four to eight months, um, he said their mechanisms break down and, and th- that's when he starts realizing that, you know, he's going to have to deal with crisis X or news X or fear driven X. He said that's when he really sees a big bump in his um, workload based on what happened roughly six months ago. So we're still wow. a little bit out. He's starting, but there, most most counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists are absolutely um, absolutely slammed right now, and it's still going to build and get worse. There's fear is a very real um, um, producer of illness, be that psychological, emotional, or physical. It, it drives illness. Okay, at the beginning of this lecture, I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready? And we're going to close with that same question. Are you ready? If you are, let's go. <laughs>